0: You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 10. Writer-Director Guide, Star Trek The Next Generation, Second Season. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host... Dr. Trek, Larry Nemacek. Hey, hey, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Yes, I know, all you history fans of Star Trek, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly, <laughs> all you tech heads, even, and of course, you truckophiles, spelled with an F. Hey, I've got a guest this week. We're going to dive into some later next generation um, bits and bobs. We've got a really interesting document for you this week. As we always do, the document is right there on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the track files. So you know the drill. You know the routine. And it's never a routine, if you know what I mean. Check out the document over there. Meanwhile, here is a little sample of that document audibly performed for you. But hang on. I'll be right back with this week's special guest. Dr. Helene Strickland. Her Starfleet rank is commander, highly successful in the profession of medicine. She is the intellectual equal of Captain Picard, although she recognizes Picard's depth and his phenomenal amount of deep space experience. Also, she understands the realities of command, and carefully defers to him in the presence of others. Well, how about that, Star Trek fans? Were you ready for a little history there? There's a nugget that I wasn't aware of until I came across this file. Somewhere the original, for five seconds anyway, the original name for Kate Pulaski's second season Next Generation was uh, Helene Strickland. I don't know where that came from, don't know where it went, but here is an example of what a draft of the writer's guide looked like back in the earlier days of Next Gen, uh, when Gene was still very much a presence on the series and someone who very much knows about what it was like when Gene was a presence on the series. And in fact, in all of Star Trek was our guest. She's back with us again. The iconic, the legendary, the one and only Susan Sackett is back with us again. Susan, I'm so glad you could join us again one more time to talk about Gene Roddenberry and and these years that really these days only you are around to talk to us about. Gosh, if I killed off everybody,
1: what happened? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey. From your secret lair out there yes, in Arizona, yes, exactly on <laughs> the forensic files, she did it. Uh. Well, this is the kind of thing that again isn't very glamorous on the surface, but you, you know when you start looking between the lines, and we we were looking at these copier lines or whatever those lines were, mm-hmm. um, it's amazing to see even how fast. the the, we've had bits and pieces from the writer's guide as it was evolved. Of course, they were setting up a show. They were brainstorming ideas. And the writer's guide from the first season went through two or three evolutions before it was ready to present to the world, so to speak, to go cast the show Mm -hmm. and have writers come in and pitch scripts and all that. This is second season. You would think Mm -hmm. that the machine is up and running. But here, look what we're doing. We're changing a character. We're changing an actress. Mm -hmm. There's the show is evolving. And I love how there's all these little side notes Apparently to you, do you, what, what, do you remember much of this process or, or is it kind of a lost in the yeah, boy? I don't
1: really recall much of this. I think I had to just cut and paste or, or I, we were using computers then. It's not that far back in the dark ages. Um, but, you know, a lot of it was brought forward from the first year. And uh, it's just it, it's what it is. It's a writer's guide. It's, it's they call it the Bible. Pardon me, and it's something that's given to to writers, so that uh, we lost a lot of writers in the first season, as most people know, and um, other people were coming in and and uh, pitching and whatever. And this was kind of a guide to what the characters are like, um, and and who they are, and what their uh, personalities are, and who gets along with whom, and who's you know in charge, and, and just something to show them. And there there were some. Significant changes, as you mentioned, um, I think you just mentioned it, the uh, character of the Doctor was changed, um, and, th- you know, so this had to be done. Usually, you'd get a, a, a Bible for a series, and that's it.
0: Um, right. But this changed. Well, most series aren't Star Trek.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's true.
0: Most series don't expect to have maybe people looking at them 20 years from now, much less 50, but... um
1: Yeah, the longevity is amazing. Absolutely amazing.
0: Well, from when that first writer's guide, even when the final one was put out before casting, obviously we didn't know who the humans would be that are inhabiting these characters or what would evolve. You know, it's fun to look at writer's guides and see what changes, even in a year's time. And that had all happened. This is trying to reflect some of that. You were talking about, um, you know, we were talking about the colorful characters, though. You were there those first couple of seasons when writers were coming and going. Um, and, you know, there's a documentary out, Chaos on the Bridge, that famously details some of that and some of the, you know, the mischief that the guy that was there looking out for Gene's interest, who I probably went overboard, there's, well, there's no probably to it. Leonard Moses, his, <laughs> his notorious attorney that no one has a good thing to say about, but he was. It was like the ultimate good cop, bad cop, only this was like good cop, evil cop. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what can you tell us about you know, the infamous Leonard Majors uh, that was interfering in writing and going through people's offices and writers and drove so many people crazy, drove them away? Um, what, what, I, I
1: can't say anything really good about him. I, I
0: don't, it's a big club, Susan. Yeah,
1: I don't like telling tales out of school. But... He, I, I, the only one he got along with was Gene. And, um, I think, you know, well, he was
0: serving Gene. It was like, it was like the Uber way of serving a client is to make everybody else crazy. I, I guess.
1: I I don't know. I don't understand what Gene saw in him, but he gave him confidence. It was like, you know, the episode of the original series where Kirk's personality is split into. to like enemy within. The enemy yeah. within. Right. He was the enemy within. I mean he he was the um the evil twin, <laughs> if you can think of it <laughs> that way, of of Gene. I mean he he Gene depended upon him, you know, like at this stage in his life, I think he needed someone who would boost him up, give him some confidence, um, and help him along. He was beginning to decline. I mean his health was was not as great as it was when he did uh earlier shows, and he gave him a sense of um, security, he was a security blanket. However, he began interfering with the writers and rewriting scripts and putting in Mm -hmm. comments, which is totally against the WGA regulations, the Writers Guild of America, to which all writers on this series subscribed, they were members. Um, or they became right. members and and you can't go against the regulations if you're not a writer you're not supposed to be writing
0: <laughs> you're supposed to your I mean, ham-handed notes aren't supposed to be part well, of the system right well oh. or he
1: would he would actually rewrite things and have them typed up or he would send them to the to the uh the writers themselves that were on staff and say make this change here or Gene sent this note over and Gene didn't um and yeah uh you know but he relied too much on Leonard, and and at one point I think that Leonard was kicked off the lot by. I'm not sure who, um, but he was back after a while. But well, they had a,
0: they had an arbitration with the Writers Guild and said, why is this non-writer writing in, writing scripts, giving notes, having anything to do with this? Much less breaking into people's offices and going yeah. through their notes. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't, but he <laughs> came back. Well, th- that was that was out there. I mean, people. Uh, Dorothy Fontana said that. I mean. Rick Berman, no less, talked about getting notes over about scripts and saying these are from Gene and saying, "Really? Like this doesn't sound like Jean's. <laughs> yeah. You know, of course, some, sometimes
1: there were things that were handwritten in that obviously were not Gene's writing.
0: Yes. Um, yes.
1: And you know, Gene was was, um, I guess, you know, not feeling as well as he should, and he was a little insecure, and he trusted Leonard. Um. They had been buddies for years. When I when I started working for Gene in 1974, he he mentioned you know, his Leonard, Leonard Mazelish being his attorney. He says you'll you'll get to meet him and whatever. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> who knew? But um yeah, so, and he had been with him for many years before that. Uh, he was a sly little devil. I tried googling him, and uh, you don't find anything.
0: We cannot find photos of him. There are no photos. I don't know how he
1: did that, but there's a sketch. It doesn't quite look as bad as he did.
0: Um, It it helped (laughs) living in the pre-iPhone camera days, but still. Oh, gosh, yes. But,
1: um, no, I mean, he was, uh, I don't know how he managed to evade getting photos taken, but there's nothing out there that I could find. Um, He has two sons, or had two sons. Um, He's no longer living, but... um, I can't remember, the Brian and Gregory, something like that. But um, they were not involved in the business at all. Um, I think they also became attorneys. But as far as I could tell, in the years that I knew Gene, um, Leonard was, or Gene was Leonard's only client. I mean, he must've had others, but at this point on uh, Next Generation, right. he was 100% devoted to Gene. I mean, the, you know, there's that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's a couple of other enigma, uh, enigmatic characters from that time, and one of them is Maury Hurley that had a long career in TV, who was a reputable person and came in. Um, I mean, Leonard apparently hired mm-hmm. some of the writers' first season, which was set up kind of a conf- conflicting thing too, but Maury Hurley eventually wound up being what today we would call the showrunner by the end of the first season, and he and Gene apparently at one point had a great relationship, and then it soured in the second season, and a lot of things soured. Um, and maybe that was part of Leonard's, um, you know, machinations too. But what what did what can you remember for us about Maury Hurley? Um,
1: what I remember most about him is um, I, I really don't remember a lot about him except that I didn't have any conflict with him. So I don't know what was going mm-hmm. on behind the scenes. Um, you know, he seemed. Um, to be in charge. He seemed to, to know what he wanted to do. I thought he worked well with Gene at the beginning. Um, but you know, they parted everybody parted ways. I mean, it was it's a first of all, what they need to know is it's not an easy show to write for. Um, it's not just science yeah. fiction. Let's go out there with our ray guns and shoot the ugly aliens. It's not that kind of science fiction. It's 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 people fiction. It just happens to be set in space. And people, you know, didn't always understand that, or if they did, they didn't write the characters correctly. That's why there was a Bible. Uh, And as far as Maiselish getting involved, he was stepping into their territory. They had no right, he had no right to be there, uh, telling all these other people what they needed to do. And, I mean, David Gerald just couldn't take it. Dorothy couldn't take it after the first season, and that's part of why they didn't continue um and as far as hurley goes and we we always called him hurley he never went by maury by the way okay he went he went by his last name hurley he was hurley um <laughs> hey hurley yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and not everybody you know saw things his way and so there were all kinds of the conflict that went on in the office was probably more dramatic than the conflict on the screen um <laughs> which is the definition of drama you know good drama has conflict well we had our own (laughs) and um you know you just didn't know who it was a revolving door you didn't know who was going to be coming in while somebody else was going out the door you know uh
0: well but and you were there and then hurley left and then michael wagner was there for just
1: yeah, I don't remember him Five very seconds, well. Five seconds,
0: and then Michael Pillar came in and things
1: right. calmed Michael.
0: down. But I yeah. like to think part of that was Michael, and part of that was Majesh was finally, finally, finally out of there and not, yeah. not ginning things up.
1: Yeah, no, he wasn't there, and Michael Piller wouldn't have taken anything from him. Um, Michael Piller well, was a good guy. He was very yeah. talented, very creative. Um, he saw things clearly. He wasn't that political, as far as I could tell.
0: Um, you always, mean political among people? Right, like, right. Oh, no, you know, yeah. No, I'm not talking sort
1: of, about yeah. Republicans, Democrats. I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the inner politics that go mm-hmm. on in any situation. Even you know, if you work at the post office, there there's politics. If you work at, you know, the um, public right. school system, which I did. Um, anyway. So, uh, I've lost well, by that, the, the other thing I
0: wanted to make sure we, we talked about was someone, and you're a person keenly aware to talk about this now, is you mentioned it, Gene's decline, his health. Yeah. And then we lost him there at the beginning of the fifth season of the show in 91, October 91. But it's sometimes, you know, that, that saying, uh, the, the fish in the pot, sometimes that you're so close to something that somebody who comes in from a third-party view or you you take snapshots and you can see it, but when you're that close, the decline is, is or the change is not that obvious. I mean, are there things that stand out in your mind? As I mean, obviously he had the stroke, the mini strokes and that, but do you remember anything else about those final years that stands out to you now?
1: Um, he would forget things that he obviously shouldn't have forgotten. Um, he was very, very bright, so he could cover... Well, Mm. if something wasn't going right. Um, And, you know, he went to see, I remember one time I I took him to see his doctor and he gave him a cognitive test of some kind. And he said he passed it only because, not that he tricked the doctor, but that, you know, he could be one step ahead. He could still do that. But the doctor said, yeah, you're normal. But he knew he wasn't. I mean, he was just able to to fool a lot of people. And um, he didn't want people to see him declining. I remember th- mm-hmm. the year they named the building on the Paramount lot after him, the Roddenberry mm-hmm. building.
0: Um, well, like five, six months before he passed.
1: It was, I don't yeah. know how many months, but it was it was not too mm-hmm. far after that. And, you know, they had, to, he had to get up and smile. And they had a wheelchair, but then he managed to get up out of it without making a big fuss or anything. And, and um you know he was he was not in denial but he was trying to you know project an image of strength and trying to mm-hmm. um he was very concerned about his son being upset if if you know he was only seven rod was only 17 then he was he was so devoted to him um he was his whole world really and he wanted to project strength to him he didn't want him to be upset um i don't know how well he pulled that off but uh he he um he was brave. I would describe it as being brave. He, he didn't give in and whine and cry, oh, woe is me or any of that. Um, he just uh, tried to carry on the best he could. Um, but, you know, it was obvious that last year and preceding years, yeah, they were difficult. But um, right. he tried to, It was, I think he was glad that um, Michael Piller was in charge and and Rick Berman. The one thing that I'm gonna correct here and go on the record is Gene was not a fan of DS9. He did not want to see it made. Um, He turned it down cold. And um, as soon as he died two weeks later, uh, they ignored his wishes and took it to the executives at Paramount, and said Gene loved this. We're going to produce this. What do you think? And they went, Oh, okay. If Gene liked it, well, Gene did not like it. I'm sorry. This is the truth. I was there. I was there when Gene said, "I don't want this done."
0: And uh, they let, let me ask if you think that was a that was a part of where he was in his cognitive decline. No. Do we have any then, way of they knowing. had it? They
1: had it. They brought it to him long before that. Um, it was in development for a couple years i think I could be off on that but it was not the week before he died they showed it to him much he was he was in his office at paramount um, when they showed it to him and he did not want it now they might have changed it since he saw it um, and made adjustments and whatnot and so it might have been something he, he might have later approved if he had had the chance but he didn't and they did not waste a moment after his death after his passing they went right away to to the uh executives and said um, gene loves this let's do it okay yeah sorry well, to be the bearer of bad tidings but that's the truth
0: yeah well and again you don't know how much we don't know how much what that draft looked like or that's true. it's certainly obviously that ds9's as the years have gone by has become a more popular show well speaking of those last days uh gene passed and um as you said, it was like, well, your services are no longer required, and that was the end of it for you in Star Trek then.
1: Pretty much, I mean, the day that, that he uh, we got the word that he had died, uh, I was escorted off the lot by the Paramount security guard who came in. First thing they started to do was to um, put bolts on all of the files, all the, um, you know, the metal filing cabinets. They came in and they locked them up and they put bolts on them. I can't remember if they wheeled them out or not. I mean, I was I was, I was so distraught, and I was like, um, you know, it, it, it's a big blur. I can't remember every little right. detail. Well, it's
0: not bad enough that Gene has but, just died. Yeah, he had and just died, and, is and all
1: they're doing is, is, is sealing up the office. But I think they do that at studios with anybody who's in any power position. They want to secure it. I don't know if they thought I was going to steal the files or people were going to start rating the files or what but they came in they locked up the files um the guard told me to you know get my stuff and i left and then um and they escorted me to my car the following this was on a on a thursday i believe um the next day was friday leonard mazelish called me in the middle of the night at my home not sounding at all distraught Um, telling me that I needed to come in tomorrow, Friday, uh, to go over some paperwork. Well, what he really wanted was my resignation letter. And I said, you know, Leonard, I'm going to take a day to mourn. If you don't mind, I will not be in tomorrow. I don't know why he thought he could just boss me around, but he did. And instead of, uh, that I said, I'll I'll be in Monday. And I hung up. This was like 11 o'clock at night. He called me to tell me this. So... I came in Monday and I was told that I could take anything that had my name in it or on it. I had two bookshelves full of stuff. Whenever a book was published, they would send me a copy. They would mm-hmm. send Gene a copy or any authorized uh, Paramount thing. And so I had to go through my bookshelf and look for things that had my name on it and anything that didn't I was not allowed to take home even though they were mine so that was that well, besides
0: oh, besides the making of the motion picture besides letters to Star Trek besides Star Trek Speaks the first quote book well no Star not Trek, just which, things that i re- wrote. that's yeah. what I'm saying but those are your titles and I wanted to mention them real quick oh thank but, you so much uh, yeah. <laughs> but also a whole shelf of things right yeah
1: yeah so anyway then he stood over my he looked over my shoulder and dictated a letter that I had to sign. And it was, um, you know, that I claimed that I'm not going to uh, sue them or something. Back pay or what, I don't know what it was. It was a horrible letter. He dictated it and he said, sign this. And then I was told to leave, that was it. And I think they did the same thing to Richard, but I'm not sure, Richard Arnold. Um, I've heard Richard say something like that. But uh, yeah, he just stood there and, and said, uh, you got to do this, type this, sign it. you're out of here.
0: That was it. And it's an upheaval of emotions 15 ways to Sunday all over the genes just passed and then you're being treated this way and after and after all those years of service and and being there and what you've done for Susan it's amazing that you're here still I mean, that's been a few years and you've had a good fun life there in Phoenix. Mm, (laughs) Scottsdale. Scottsdale, excuse me, in the greater area, <laughs> yes. But uh, I, I'm just so thrilled that you have uh, were able to sit down and talk. I mean, I know you you do still. It's great that you're still talking about Star Trek because you do have a place there and, and you you're were in, in a perch that very few people could occupy. And I'm just really thrilled that you could come in and spend some time with us here on The Trek Files these, these times when you've been in to visit lately. Ooh. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Larry. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, yes, that's me, and Portal 47 at larrynimachek.com. And yo, you should check out all the Trek Files new swag and shirts at the Trekland shop at tpublic.com slash stores slash trekland hyphen shop. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.